is Dina Saunders-Green, and you're listening to Formally Fostered, brought to you by Green Pines Media. This is a podcast about foster care and children's mental health services, and sometimes the juvenile justice system, mainly because there's a lot of intersection between the three. We give emancipated youth and their allies a place to share their truth. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Formally Fostered. During this episode, I just wanted to kind of lighten things up a bit. So I'm going to be sharing an interview that I did with an advocate who's, I don't know, she just has a big heart. She's someone who saw an emancipated youth in need, so she just stepped up. We're going to get right into our interview, which starts with me asking her, how do you classify yourself? Um... I just refer to myself as her friend. I think she considers me a mentor. Okay. I don't consider myself like a foster parent or anything like that. Okay. I met when she was about 16 years old and I worked at a school. I was a teacher's aide and I worked at a special needs high school and they had a lot of emotional difficulties. Uh, A lot of them were violent and a lot of them came from very broken homes and some were also in the foster care system. Came in maybe mid-year of her junior year and she was very, I would say kind of very boisterous and she would get angry really quickly and she would walk out of school and just be like, I'm done. And no one could really reach her. So they, I remember one day I was just put in the classroom with her and we connected very well. And ever since then, a lot of the other teachers, they were like, okay, well, acting up, why don't you go to the classroom because she needs you. So then I would kind of be that person to help her kind of, kind of transition from being like rowdy to more calm. And fast forward to a year later, we developed this really great relationship in the sense of like, you know, I was her teacher's assistant and she was the student and I helped her out in the sense of like, she didn't walk out of the cl- out of the school and just like leave for the day. And then I found another job and when other teachers found out that I was leaving, like literally we all had a meeting as to how we're gonna go about telling her that I was leaving. I remember the day that I told her, I told her that, you know, there was a great opportunity for me and that I I would no longer be working here. And she was devastated, like absolutely devastated. And when I when I left, I didn't really keep in touch with her. But then what happened was uh, I know that she was graduating maybe like a couple of months later, so I went to her graduation. Oh, okay. And um, she was so happy. I took pictures of her. Like, I don't think she had any other family members there. So she really enjoyed that. How did you find out about the graduation? Or did you something you put on your calendar? Yeah, like? I already knew since I worked at the school when okay. the graduation would be. And um, what happened was that after that, I didn't hardly keep in touch with her. But the craziest thing happened and I saw her and I'm like, oh my God. And we both like acted very extra and crazy. Like, oh my God, I can't believe you're here. (laughs) (laughs) And so like I asked her for her number because now like, you know, she like I'm not working there anymore. Like I don't like I 
I felt like, you know, this would be a good connection to have. Um, I, I, had, I got her number and we ended up hanging out and she really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed it. And um, we just chatted. We would go to like out to eat. We would take lots of walks on the beach. And then um, things just started getting very hard for her at that group home that she was in. And it came to the point where she was like, I can't do this, I can't live here. And, uh, and that's when I made a decision. I'm like, well, why don't you come live with me? So I wanted to point out a couple of things that she mentioned. First, the fact that she attended this young lady's graduation was huge. I mean, think about it. It's a major accomplishment where family members usually go to cheer graduates on. But what happens with kids in foster care? Depending on the area, there's hundreds or even thousands of people cheering. But who's cheering for them? So even though she didn't regularly stay in touch, the fact that she showed up for graduation was really, really special. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that their chance meeting actually happened at her mother's job. So whether you believe in God or chance or whatever, these two were definitely meant to find each other. At that time, I was living in my mom's basement and my mom's basement had a kitchen, had a bathroom, had three bedrooms, had a living room. Right. So I was in a situ I was in a place where I was able to at least take her on and my mom just my mom was like, "Okay, that's fine." She just really didn't mind at all. Love it. Yeah, because of the fact that like we had a six bedroom home and three of the bedrooms were downstairs and no one used it. I've said this before, but I think it's worth saying again and again. If we had enough safe people in the community collectively stepping up to help current and former foster youth, we could change thousands of lives. Now, I will be the first to admit that not everybody can be a foster parent, but maybe we can attend a graduation or can we be a safe person to take a walk with or have a conversation with? She needed a lot of talking time, I realized. We would do a lot of art together. We, we had this thing where we would get iced tea and then we would make videos. And I feel like those videos were like, kind of created like healing for her because mm -hmm. of the fact that like, you know, we created this whole like show. She didn't like, I feel like she never realized how like witty and smart she is because she, she just never gave herself any compliments. But I, it's just like, she just came alive in those videos. And she, every time that we hung, like every time we went out to places like to the beach or to get like iced tea, she would always say, let's, let's make another show. And she would lead it. And it was so awesome, like how she was able to like lead that and like just create this place where she just looked and felt very happy. Here's what she had to say when I asked if she knew much about the foster care system back then. I didn't know anything really. I mean, there. I grew up in the uh, inner city, so I knew that there were students that I knew that were in the foster care, but I never really understood it until like systematically. Like I didn't understand it too much until she lived with me and she told me stories. I felt like she was just so happy to be at a place where she felt loved because I don't think that's something that she has felt in the past with people because you know when you're in foster care you stay with someone for a couple of months maybe a year and then you move on to the next person and it's just like how do you meet quality people how do you like create relationships how do you learn how to do all that stuff when you're constantly being moved around I think that she had a sense of safety when she lived with me. Okay. 
I was curious about how their relationship changed after the young adult moved in. Here's what she had to say. Honestly, I felt like things just got better. Like, there was one time, however, like when when she went to when she went out with her friend, she came to back to my mom's house drunk and she was like falling over. And she she was like like slurring her words and things like that and I remember thinking, "Oh my god, she's never going to come home ever like this ever again." Like we had to have a big conversation. And not because like I'm I think mainly it was the first time I ever saw her that way and it, for me it was like a little scary because here here I am I'm I'm young I'm like 25 20 I was 26 I think I'm 6 years older than her okay. so um she must have been 17. She's seven years younger than I am because I met her when I was 24. She's seven years younger than me and so like here I am at like 26-ish and she's like 19 and coming home drunk and I'm just like I don't know what to do. I'm not like it's not like I at the time I I, I knew how to handle like an, an adult you know what I mean like I was never drunk. I didn't even know like what someone does if someone's drunk, like, are they gonna suffocate, are they gonna throw up? So I put her in bed and then the next day, she was like, I know, I know, we're gonna have to talk about it. So it's just like, she already knew that, like, I that I was gonna wanna talk about it. And so she's never, she never did that again, which was really nice. But yeah, that was, I feel like that was one of the first times where I actually felt like a parent right. towards someone else. She definitely doesn't like disappointing me, but when it comes to, disappointing, I never let her know if I'm actually disappointed. And I think mainly it's because of the fact that I don't ever want her to feel like she can't ever come to me. Mm. And that to me is just really important because of the fact that like, if she feels she can't come to me, then who else is she gonna go to? I never lecture her. I don't ever like, I don't ever want her to feel shame mm -hmm. that I'm gonna shame her, mm -hmm. you know? And that's really important to me, you know, because I feel like she already feels enough shame. She's already been through like a lot of emotions. I'm not, I don't want to add on to that. I think it's because I have felt a lot of shame in my life and a lot of like disappointment that the last thing I want to do is make someone feel that way. Got you. Got you, you know, I want to be a place where people can come to you and talk to you and not feel judged and feel safe. Like safety for me is really big because I like to feel safe and I want to feel emotionally safe. So I want to create an environment where the other person feels emotionally safe and they don't feel like I'm judging them. You know, like, how can you completely be yourself if I'm gonna, if, if you're gonna feel judged? And then I think too, like, I've learned at a, at a, I learned early on that it's just important to love people for who they are and not what you want them to be. Exactly. And I wanted her to be a lot of things, but I have to love her for who she is. Well, I also think too, it's because of the fact that like, I grew up with a brother who was, um, physically disabled, he had muscular dystrophy. So for me, like um, comforting someone else and advocating for someone else and loving someone else just was already naturally in me because I had someone in my life who I was doing those things with. So by the time that I met, my brother had already passed away. So like that was also another way for me to kind of continue to give back because I was so used to it. So I just wanted to point this out again. She was not a licensed foster parent. 
She didn't wait for an agency to approve their decision, and she didn't wait around until she got a check. She just stepped up and helped. And I strongly believe that if we had more safe people in the community who did this, we could save lives. We could probably even prevent a lot of the kids from going into the system in the first place. Now, two things. I keep saying safe people because we all know that there are predators out there. But here's the thing. I truly believe that if more good people stepped up, maybe, just maybe, our youth wouldn't be victimized by the bad ones so often. Also, I know I keep saying youth, but I want to point out that the young adult in question was over the age of 18. That means that she was a legal adult, so the process of stepping up was a lot easier. I think that, you know, she's just really amazing, so beautiful inside and out, even though she didn't see it. Um, when she gets angry, okay. she's very um, passionate okay. and definitely like loves very hard. And if like you break that love, she's just going to be, I'm going to use the word again, very passionate towards you. <laughs> so that passion that she mentions was in the context of the young adult's boyfriend. I asked her if she knew about the anger before the young adult moved in with her, and she reminded me that yes, she was fully aware of it, and yet that didn't stop her from opening up her home. I did because I worked with her in school, so that was one of the challenges that she had. She lived with me probably for like, I wanna say one or two years, and then what happened was that she would move around a lot after me, and she just felt like I think she just felt at the time like she wanted to be with her brother in a different state and connect and then she wanted to be with her mom. She, she wanted to be in so many places to try to create the family she never had. Like it's just interesting even when she moved in because literally her whole life fit in my car. Mm. And it's just like it broke, it, it breaks your heart like oh my god like my whole life can't fit in a car. My, my stuff, my my clothes, my everything, like, it's just like, literally, her whole life just fit in, like, bags and, and containers. And that's what she would carry, that, that, that was her home. And that's what she would carry when she moved with her mother, that's what she would carry when she lived with her brother, and then she lived with her sister, and she just moved around in the next six years of her life to, to now, like, she just moved around so much, she's never had, like, a place where it's completely her own and even now she's 26 and she's still bouncing around i just recently found out she's homeless in my in my mind though really looking at it i feel like she's always been homeless because none of these places were ever her own she messaged me and she was like asking me if i could call um some services for her and i did but um, they weren't picking up the phone but yeah, it's just really interesting, like, even though she's had a roof over her head, she's just been homeless with her stuff. I hate to say it, but I wonder how strong the correlation is between the number of times kids are moved in foster care and the frequency that they move around after they emancipate. As chaotic as moving around may seem, I have a feeling that it becomes normal because they've been forced to do it so often when they're in the system. We talk a little bit more about what led to the young adult moving out. Here's what she had to say. She wanted to reconnect with her family. And at the time, I'm like, I completely understand. I think there was a sense of um, connection she just wanted to build. You know, her mom was, her mom's uh, health was declining and 
she just wanted to have that connection with her. Right. And like, who am I to be like, no, like kind of, I, I kind of wanted to be like, no, but at the same time, like this is her life. She's an adult now. She's 20. Like, even though it's super young, like you're old enough to make your own decisions. And even if it's not a decision that I want for you, I think it's important for you to just be able to make that and know that I'm here to support you, whether you make a bad decision or not. Okay, we are going to take a quick break and hear from one of our community partners. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. Have you heard about Every Table? They're redefining the food landscape the same way that a certain burger place did 50 years ago. But here's the thing, instead of burgers, fries, and nuggets, they're selling nutritious, fresh, made from scratch food, and they're doing it at fast food prices. Their grab-and-go storefronts are located in food deserts and underserved communities that don't usually have access to healthy food, but they're also in affluent areas. To make sure that everyone can afford their meals, they price them according to the neighborhoods they serve. And the coolest thing is, every time you buy a meal, it helps them open up locations in food deserts all around LA. For now, that's Los Angeles, not Lower Alabama. The food is amazing. I could honestly eat their chipotle chimichurri salad every day. The sesame teriyaki chicken with broccoli is pretty spectacular too. They have vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options. So check everytable.com for a location near you. Welcome back. We are going to get right back into our interview with me asking, what would you like to see happen in her life? Or what do you wish for her? Here's what she had to say. Oh, I, w- I would... I just, I would wish so much for her. I know that like a couple of years ago, we talked about her going to school. We talked about her going to um, the Corps, the Job Corps. Mm -hmm. Uh, We even talked about her coming out here because I no longer live in that state because I moved almost four years ago to California. I would just love for her to, to get involved with something that's productive and it's like I want her, I would love for her to have a full-time job, but I haven't talked, I, I didn't talk about her health issues because she has a lot of different health issues. It's like I would, I would love for her to find a job and to find something that she would enjoy, but I don't know physically how long-term that would be sustainable. But she, she has the potential to actually go to school. She's smart enough. I mean, I feel like I would want for her what any parent would want for their child to succeed and to feel good about themselves and to feel like they have good friendships and good relationships because I know that relationships are really important and she doesn't have that. So I can talk about school all, all, like, all, all I want, but at the same time, like, I think that I would love for her to have good, solid relationships. I feel like that would be number one for me, actually not, not really saying it. I asked her what advice she would give to social workers. Here's what she had to say. Advice that I would have for social workers would be to really just show as much love as possible and to be consistent. I think consistency is huge. Like if you're gonna say to them, I'm gonna call you at 11 o'clock on Thursday, call them at 11 o'clock on Thursday. Worst case scenario, you couldn't call them, call them back and say, I'm so sorry. And then I would make it up with like drawing them a picture and sending it to them going a little further, like sending them birthday cards and just making them feel loved and really finding out what makes them feel loved. So I love using the five love languages as like an example. 
but like getting to know people to the point where you, you kind of like know their love language. Because I think it's important to fill up people's love tanks. Okay, so The Five Love Languages is a relationship book by Dr. Gary Chapman. The idea is that people express love in different ways. And when we're aware of that, we can interpret what's going on with them and meet their needs in a better way. So those five love languages are, uh, number one, words of affirmation, like hearing compliments or actually saying, I love you. Number two, quality time, which is giving people your undivided attention, not being on your phones or on your computer, but undivided attention. Uh, number three, receiving gifts, which is more about uh, showing appreciation than it is about somebody being materialistic. Number four is acts of service or just helping someone out when they need it. And number five is physical touch. And that doesn't always mean being intimate. It can be a hug or holding hands or, you know, a pat on the back or something. I think that if anything, like she probably just needed some kind of mentorship, like someone who will be there for her during school hours. And I know that sounds because this is a lot, but like, but if there was like some kind of organization that created some kind of mentorship where, you know, this person could be a part of their lives, whether it's after school and taking them out to the movies, taking her out to movies or talking with her and getting some coffee and like, you know, being there for like teacher conferences or like graduation. I feel like people in a situation like where she is need a lot of support. There's no such thing as too much support. Like they need a support from every aspect of their life. And so I just wish that she could have had more support than she had because she graduated. And even though there was a school psychologist that she liked, she's too embarrassed to go back there. Like there has to be something in schools or a person in schools that follows up with these students. You know, what happens after you graduate? I know that I grew up in the inner city. A lot of students didn't go to college and that's just people that weren't in the foster care system. In the school that she was in, a special needs school, like there should be some kind of follow-up after. Right. You know, there has to be something because I feel like she fell, fell right in front of her face. Like in the sense of like, there was nothing else that she was motivated to go back to or talk to anyone. Like, like what do you do? What, what does one do? I really love what she says about mentors. And luckily, people are starting to see how valuable they really are. As a matter of fact, my two favorite mentoring programs in LA County were both started by women who, again, saw a need and they just stepped up. Now, like most nonprofits, they could use donations, but do you know what they really need? Mentors. They need people who are committed to setting aside their time for the youth in the community. And yes, it is a big commitment. Uh, one of the organizations is Love Beyond Limits. They're looking for people who are willing to commit to being a mentor for a year and a half, but it's only three to six hours each month. And that includes texting, emailing, and calling the youth on the phone. In 2012, California extended the age of foster care for teens who choose to stay in the system. So instead of aging out at 18, they now have the option of aging out at 21. That also means that there is a need for families who are willing to foster young adults who are 18, 19, and even 20 years old. During the interview, I asked if she had any advice for people who were considering this, or even if they were thinking about being a mentor. 
I think that if you're thinking about it, really take into consideration the time and the commitment in your lifestyle. And I think mainly it's because of the fact that like, it's like a baby. You have, you have to dedicate so much time to this person, especially if they're a person coming in from the foster care system. Like they, they need a lot of support. They need a lot of love. Um, they, you need to know their, their triggers. Um, I just learned so much from everything. It was absolutely worth it. Like she's absolutely worth it. The journey with her has been absolutely, been absolutely worth it. Even now, like as she messaged me, and she was like, "I'm always, I'm sorry that I'm always coming at you with so much problems," and I'm just like, "No, you're just, you're never a problem." And to me, like, it's just, for me, it's just been a worth it journey, you know, helping someone out and being there for someone that that you that that you love and that you know loves you and that. You know, she never tells me she loves me. She'll say, I hurt you. Oh, that's you know? sweet. <laughs> She'll say, I hurt you. And like, like that just means so much to me. She hurts me. So that was our interview. And I know it may sound strange, but sometimes this is what a healthy relationship looks like. Sometimes it's just a matter of making yourself available so that when our youth need us, we're there. So for all of you who are attempting to establish relationships with young people who've been in the system, I just want to encourage you to keep at it. Please keep at it. I know it's not always easy, but it can take a while for our kids to figure things out and get on their feet. I guess the big question is, can you be there while they're figuring things out? Because it can be frustrating, but it is so worth it. Okay, so before we move into the next segment of our show, next segment, next portion, I don't know what to call it, the next part of our show, I'd like to give our new listeners some background. So about seven years ago, I took what I thought would be a break from traditional social work, and I did that to become a full-time foster parent to teens and a novelist. My husband Terry and I fostered teens because that was the group that was usually the most difficult to find placements for. Also, I worked with emancipated youth and the ones who were doing well had lifelong connections who stayed in their lives regardless of their behavior. And I started writing stories about transition age youth because people had no idea about what was happening to these young adults. I mean, you can look at the statistics. Way too many were aging out and becoming homeless. They weren't being taught basic life skills. They were, you know, becoming victims of human trafficking. And some of them were reconnecting with family members who were still abusive. Um, I thought writing realistic stories about what these youth experience would be a good way to educate people. And maybe that was true for adults in the community, but the youth were basically like, uh, yeah, I'm never going to read your book. The podcast was a great way to confidentially share real stories. It was also a much better format for them because they could just listen whenever they want at their convenience, just, you know, have some earbuds in and they were good to go. Well, we dropped off for a little while last year, not because we had nothing to say, but because we got picked up by an internet radio station called Icon Radio FM. That allowed us to share stories and it gave us a platform to feature music that was created by transition age youth. Now, we can't play stuff by Beyonce, Pink, or Kendrick Lamar here on the podcast, but we can play music from people who have been impacted by foster care, children's mental health, or the juvenile justice system. So that is what this next segment is about. 
So with all of that in mind, here is a single called Her Thoughts, Her Doubts by Anthony Gray. Beginning, we did whatever was clever. We made a vow that we be together forever. Guess we lied, girl. Wipe your face, mm, don't you cry, girl. It'll be okay when I'm alone. I think about him, yeah. I think about him. Yeah, we had some time, girl. We had some time, yeah. It crossed my mind, girl. Subjects kinda touchy. touchy. I wondered if he loved me. Love me. Or did he just have the love for me? I don't know, girl. I really don't know, girl. I used to say, What would happen if I let you in? 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 My heart broken again. He said, In this game of love, man, you gotta distinguish. Are you good at playing house? Are you suck at commitment? You ain't moved on now. She stuck in her feelings. And she lost in this pain and she feeling just endless. You was her knight in shining armor. Who knew that you would be the one in going home? Now she hurting cause she loving you And you something she don't wanna lose I said she hurting cause she loving you But how you lose something that don't belong to you True, recognize the purpose of the song Baby, what's to come is way better than what's gone uh, He disappeared like magic But gotta exchange beauty for your ashes uh, to disappear like magic But gotta give you beauty for your ashes For real God can heal you if you let him in God can heal you if you let him in God can heal you if you let him in God can heal you if you let him in God can heal you if you let him in God can heal you if you let him in God can heal you if you let him in your heart's not broken no more No, no more Your heart's not broken no more Once again, that was Anthony Gray with Her Thoughts, Her Doubts. Don't forget to check him out on iTunes. And as always, don't forget to support our youth. Thank you for listening to Formerly Fostered. You can subscribe to us by going to Apple Podcasts or follow us on SoundCloud. Feel free to leave a comment or email us at info at So until next time, have a good one.